Welcome to Reading Around Macroeconomics. I'm your host, Emil Kalinowski, and today I am reading a s- excerpt from Karl Marx. Oh, don't turn off your podcast. Yes, I know. Should we be reading something from Karl Marx? But you know what? Have you read anything from Karl Marx? It's a short excerpt, and it's very good. It's very good. At the end of in the outro, I, I say I disagree with the conclusions, but it's good food for thought, and I wanted to share it with you. This comes from Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts in 1844. I hope you enjoy it, and it's about the nature of money and what it does to people and society. That which is for me through the medium of money, that for which I can pay, in other words, which money can buy, that am I, myself, the possessor of the money. The extent of the power of money is the extent of my power. Money's properties are my properties and essential powers, the properties and powers of its possessor. Thus, what I am and am capable of is by no means determined by my own individuality. I am ugly, but I can buy for myself the most beautiful of women. Therefore, I am not ugly, for the effect of ugliness, its deterrent power, is nullified by money. I, in my character as an individual, am lame, but money furnishes me with 24 feet. Therefore, I am not lame. I am bad, dishonest, unscrupulous, stupid, but money is honored, and therefore so is its possessor. Money is the supreme good, therefore its possessor is good. Money, besides, saves me the trouble of being dishonest. I am therefore presumed honest. I am stupid, but money is the real mind of all things, and how then should its possessor be stupid? Besides, he can buy talented people for himself, and is he who has a power over the talented not more talented than the talented? Do not I, who, thanks to money, am capable of all that human heart longs for, possess all human capacities? Does not my money therefore transform all my incapacities into their contrary? If money is the bond binding me to human life, binding society to me, binding me and nature and man, is not money the bond of all bonds? Can it not dissolve and bind all ties? Is it not, therefore, the universal agent of divorce? It is the true agent of divorce as well as the true binding agent the universal galvanochemical power of society. That which I am unable to do as a man, and which therefore all my individual essential powers are incapable, I am able to do by means of money. Money thus turns each of these powers into something which in itself it is not, turns it, that is, into its contrary. If I long for a particular dish, or want to take the mail coach because I am not strong enough to go by foot, money fetches me the dish and the mail coach. That is, it converts my wishes from something in the realm of imagination 
translates them from their mediated, imagined, or willed existence into their sensuous, actual existence, from imagination to life, from imagined being into real being. In effecting this mediation, money is the truly creative power. No doubt, demand also exists for him who has no money, but his demand is a mere thing of the imagination without effect or existence for me, for a third party, for the others, and which therefore remains for me unreal and objectless. The difference between effective demand based on money and ineffective demand based on my need, my passion, my wish, etc., is the difference between being and thinking, between the imagined which exists merely within me and the imagined as it is for me outside me as a real object. If I have no money for travel, I have no need. That is no real and self-realizing need to travel. If I have the vocation for study but no money for it, I have no vocation for study. That is no effective, no true vocation. On the other hand, if I have really no vocation for study, but have the will and the money for it, I have an effective vocation for it. Being the external common medium and faculty for turning an image into reality and reality into a mere image, a faculty not springing from man as man or from human society as society, money transforms real essential powers of man and nature into what are merely abstract conceits and therefore imperfections, into tormenting chimeras, just as it transforms real imperfections in chimeras, essential powers which are really impotent, which exist only in the imagination of the individual, into real powers and faculties. In the light of this characteristic alone, money is thus the general overturning of individualities which turns them into their contrary and adds contradictory, contradictory attributes to their attributes. Since money, as the existing and active concept of value, confounds and exchanges all things, it is the general confounding and compounding of all things, the world upside down, and the confound, confounding and compounding of all natural and human qualities. He who can buy bravery is brave, though a coward. As money is not exchanged for any one specific quality, for any one specific thing, or for any particular human essential power, but for the entire objective world of man and nature, from the standpoint of its possessor, it therefore serves to exchange every property for every other, even contradictory, property and object. It is the fraternization of impossibilities. It makes contradictions embrace. Your podcaster is not familiar enough with Marx's writings to be certain whether or not this excerpt is satire, but it certainly reads like one. Marx condemns money since it is the 
existing and active concept of value. It confounds and exchanges all things. It is the general confounding and compounding of things. The world upside down, he says, the confounding, compounding of all natural and human qualities. He's upset. Money. It turns everything inside out. That which is not true becomes true. No wonder that Marxism seeks to redistribute this corrupting, distorting, necessary evil across the citizenry so as to prevent the buildup of this of this philosopher's stone, this chemical, this alchemy, where nature is turned inside out. However, at least to your podcaster, at least, I think this is assigning too much power to money, and it absolves the responsibility of human character. Is the tool evil or the wielder? In this excerpt, at least, Mark lays the corruption at the feet of money. Now, I typically don't welcome comments from Marxists, but this time I do because honestly, I don't know enough about Marx's writing, so maybe I've completely misinterpreted it, and maybe it is a lampoon, maybe it is a satire. Whatever it is, definitely, if you're a Marxist, go to the comments section and coach me up. <laughs>